0: Hi there. Today we're talking about six hidden culture and gender neutral motivation dimensions. These motivation dimensions reveal our top interests and drivers, and they are so powerful because when we get to do these things, we will have more energy. We have a full tank of gas. We have high commitment and engagement. And it's like we've given employees the keys to the Ferrari with a full tank of gas. These dimensions about motivation are very practical. They provide a common language for understanding and discussing differences. And they help us benefit and understand the value of different opinions, people who have different priorities, different interests, which helps us understand the value of every relationship. So it helps us in our organization. It helps us as it, as our team. It helps us personally. It helps us intrinsically it helps us extrinsically it helps us systemically it really is a powerful bit of science and information to share and i'm very excited to share this with you and we also have a special giveaway with this episode and so stay tuned for that it'll be given to the first 50 people who request it and it has a value of 350 dollars and it relates to the workplace motivators. So we're talking about something that really matters. Everybody should be able to know what puts gas in their tank. And for you to know that for yourself, you then can help others know. And it. it's super, super powerful, it made a big difference in my life. And I'm eager to share it with you. Michael, hit it. Hi there, I'm Susie, and you're listening to the Wake Up Eager Workforce podcast. Uh, We cover everything related to helping you and your employees and your organizations build a high-commitment, low-drama, wake-up-eager workforce. And we talk about it at work, and we talk about it personally because we bring ourselves to our work. And the way we can have a high-commitment, low-drama, wake-up-eager workforce is to help our workforce and help us individually in our lives, We want to help you make good decisions about your people, good decisions about yourself, good decisions on how you motivate others, how you uh, place people in jobs, how you coach them, and how you serve them. And we provide all kinds of processes, tools, and resources to help you do that. And our whole focus is to help increase involvement, enthusiasm, and engagement in the work, in the workplace, and in our lives. That's why we call it Wake Up Eager. We want to every day to be a day where I'm sad the sun went down and I'm excited that the sun came up because I'm in the right place at the right time, doing the right things with the right people. That's certainly a journey, but everything we're about here is Wake Up Eager Workforce and Wake Up Eager Life. Um, We want to help you bring great connection and great engagement. So today's episode is episode number 92, and it is about building a workplace full of motivation and energy. And it, you can find our directory for everything at wakeupeagerworkforce.com. I'm going to talk about how you can win a free assessment by leaving us a review. And I'll talk about that here in a minute, but you can go to pricelessprofessional.com forward slash review to get that. The official title for today's talk is Workplace Motivators drive like you have the keys to Ferrari with a full tank of gas. And yes, we are going to cover what I mentioned at the opening, which is six hidden culture and gender neutral motivation dimensions. We're going to use those dimensions and this information to rev up your understanding of motivation, energy, and commitment. We're going to use it to accelerate your ability to connect with people who have different views and different interests. We're going to use it to highlight The people you work with and the people around you highlight their innate strengths. It's a way to empower them and help them feel on purpose and eager. And I'm going to show you how to use these dimensions of motivation in hiring, onboarding, team building, and in managing conflict uh, in this episode today. So the show notes are at pricelessprofessional.com forward slash Ferrari. How you spell that is F-E-R-R-A-R-I. It's all lowercase, pricelessprofessional.com forward slash Ferrari. So I mentioned that we have a giveaway and it is for a workplace motivators assessment. And so that assessment is a robust tool, way we define a robust tool for measuring our top interests and drivers. And so you can take that assessment. I'll give you a complimentary link and what I'm asking for to receive this $350 value uh, is to leave us a review and we're going to give away 50 of these. So if you give us a review you can go to pricelessprofessional.com forward slash review to see how to do that if you're not familiar. And then after you do the review, send me a note and say, hey, I left you a review. I will send you a link to the complimentary assessment. It will tell you what your top interests and drivers are. You could share it with someone. We'd ask for everybody complete just one. And then you. it's a 25 page report. And it takes you about 10 minutes to complete it. Once you get the link and you go online to complete it, you'll get it immediately. So you you won't have to wait or have any kind of conversation with me. You just get it right away. And then we have a whole program lined up. It's our signature motivators uh, program. And you can go watch a debrief video. And then there's all kinds of self-based uh, resources that explain your motivators and give you interview questions and show you how to work it and use it in your on your team and just all kinds of information there. So you can check out the link that gives all the details in case you're someone who's listening and said, well, shoot, I already have my workplace motivators assessment. Well, you can go use the um, resources that we are newly created at motivatorsppd.com. So check that out. Uh, Again, leave us a review, let me know, and um, you will get a complimentary assessment uh, up to 50, okay? So when people take the assessment, things that I hear, things that people say is they say things like, wow, that makes a lot of sense. I always knew this about myself. Now I know what to do on the weekends to put my gas back in my tank. Now I understand why I do what I do. Now I understand why Jane and I do not get along. Now I know what I need to do to uh, understand my strengths and use those. And then also figure out, you know, how I cover any potential gaps or growth opportunities. I mean, it's, it's quite a revealer and it's so interesting. I have, um, in my 20 years, this is priceless professionals, 20 year, 20th year, we have completed 25,000 assessments and I've not reviewed all of those, but have been a part of all of those assessments. And when I am involved and I'm coaching someone, I ask them to tell me a little bit about how they got from where they are to where they are today. And they always, when they're telling their story, I can see evidence of their top motivators throughout all the decisions that they make. And once they understand the motivators, and you're going to be the same way um, when you go through at the end of this program, have a better understanding of what motivators are, you're going to understand why you've made the decisions that you've made, because it it is the filter through which we make decisions. So I just wanted you to hear what other people say about the assessment, what the benefit they get, and then just remind you that motivatorsppd.com, motivators. PPD, that stands for Priceless Professional Development. It's all lowercase. MotivatorsPPD.com is where the resource page is if you're curious. And I have a sample workplace motivators assessment there if you want to see it. Okay, so let's talk about why think about something like these motivation dimensions. Why does this matter? And we're going to start right with the state of motivation and engagement today. And here's my summary of it. It's a mess. Gallup organization... This is their research that I'm getting ready to share, but that's my sophisticated summary is motivation and engagement is a mess, and it has been for a really long time. And there are pockets of it where it's going well, and there's organizations and leaders who are doing really well with this, but it is a challenge. So what is engagement? It is involvement and enthusiasm in the work and the workplace. So we're measuring, I'm glad to be here, I'm showing up, and I'm giving my best self. And this is the 2022 research from the Gallup organization. The Gallup organization is a global analytic and advice firm, and they've been doing these studies. I've been reading them since, gosh, probably 2000. So I know, I don't know how many years they've been doing it, but they they do massive studies. They do a meta-analysis where you take results from many bits of research to come up with their data. And so let's just tell you what they talked about with engagement. Where is involvement and enthusiasm? And I must say, as I kicked off, I didn't tell you that we have all the slides at PricelessProfessional.com forward slash Ferrari. And we have a video there, too. So if you're listening to this on audio and you want to come see these slides and see the video, you can do that at PricelessProfessional.com forward slash Ferrari. So here is the Gallup research. They're talking about engagement. We have 31% engagement. 52% not engaged and 17% actively disengaged. So the engagement number might be a surprise to you that it's 31%, but it's up a little bit, which is uh, new news. But the actively disengaged is very interesting. 17%, that means that everybody who's engaged, who's involved, enthusiastic, they're just not just uh, checking out a little bit. They're actively working to undermine the efforts of the people who are engaged. So we've probably all seen evidence of that. And it's just interesting that they were able to capture that in this study. The next thing that they, the summary of what they put together is 59% of the people, they talk to millions of people in organizations all over the world. 59% are quiet quitting. So that means they are just checking out a little bit. They're kind of the not engaged. They're not volunteering for extra time. They're not you know, they're not willing to volunteer for projects. They might use, have a little bit more absenteeism, use a personal day on a Friday. They're just, they're there, but they're not the involved and enthusiastic. And then you have the loud quitting, which is a lot like the actively disengaged and and they're just not, you know, disengaged or quietly quitting. Like, "Ah, I'm not, I'm not happy. They're resentful that they're not happy. And they are loud because they are telling people about it inside the organization and outside the organization. And then the last bit of highlight that I want to share from their research uh, last year is 51% of the people on average uh, in organizations are looking for a new job. 51% are actively looking for another role. So what do we do about this? Well, that's what a lot of what we're going to talk about today is um, and I'm going to tie the motivation assessment to helping you turn some of that around. You know, w- what we we see is that people are liking, and Gallup talks about this, they like the remote and hybrid option. So they have a little bit more engagement because of that, but they also have higher stress because now they're not getting that sense of belonging. They're not getting that sense of connection. So they're away and then it's, you know, I'm at home and while it is less stressful, I'm not on the road, their lack of involvement is, is causing some additional stress. So um, one of the things that they recommend, and we recommend it as well, is have meaningful conversations with your employees. And their suggestion is specifically a weekly one-on-one feedback meeting. And the feedback meeting is more how I would recommend it is a short 15 to 30 minutes. It's the, how's it going? You know, How are you doing? How's it going? Uh, what are you working on? How are things with you personally? Let me tell you something great that you did? How can we collaborate? How can I help? And if you make those every week, then they will save up information to share with you and you will create this connection. And they say it starts with meaningful conversation. It does. And uh, it's very reminiscent of years ago, and maybe they still talk about it today, but it used to be managed by walking around so, you know, walk around, connect with people and do that on a regular basis. And the and the topic of connection is a hot one. And so I want to tell you about it's hot because people need connection. If you read these numbers, Gallup's been talking about this for ages, but it's connectable is now another uh, way. Let's connect. Let's let's engage. Gallup has revealed that people are more active and engaged when they know that someone cares about them, when someone's asking about them. So that's why having the weekly meetings that are more about the employee and what we call how's it going meetings, having that on a regular basis is super, super powerful. We did an episode where a HR professional or a leader he was a not an HR professional, but a, a leader in an organization talks about that. So I will make sure that is in the show notes. It's a good episode about uh, how's it going. Meaning, you could look at the notes. But the book Connectable is on the uh, Wall Street Journal's uh, bestseller list, and I interviewed one of the authors, Ryan Jenkins, recently. So there's a link to that in the show notes as well to go watch that or, or view the transcript. But he says some interesting research in that 15 million employees were interviewed recently this book was just released in 2022 so it's recent data 15 million employees were interviewed and one of the things that was revealed that they are lonely most of the time, almost all the time. So the percentage that they had was 82%. So people aren't going to tell you that. You're not going to know that the person who's, you know, seems engaged, but isn't fully engaged, you know, is doing decent work, but not like your high performer. You're not going to know that they're feeling disengaged or they're feeling, uh, they're thinking they're quiet quitting, or maybe they're actively listening. And on top of that, they might be feeling lonely because uh, when people feel lonely, when they feel disconnected, the opposite of connected, Connectable they turn inward and when we turn inward we we just kind of start to feel a little threatened we might begin to mistrust people or mistrust what's going on with people and so we we are talking about engagement and involvement and enthusiasm and so understanding that so many people are feeling lonely everything that you can do to meet with people to show that you care to help them use their strengths to encourage their development uh, to know that they have a colleague that's looking out for them a leader that's looking out for them you're talking to them about their progress. All of that is the personal side of building engagement, that involvement, enthusiasm. And Gallup has done this for years. They've been talking about it since I first found them 20 plus years ago. Is that organizations that have higher engagement? So instead of the average, you know, engaged at 31%, maybe that they have a higher percentage of 72%. Those organizations have record, and and this was what was so phenomenal about Gallup is they have higher, these organizations have higher engagement, have higher higher productivity, higher customer retention, higher customer growth, um, and better employee retention, and significantly reduce stress on the job. So keep these facts in mind. Think about the practical of meeting with people and the the impact that that could have. And then check out Connectable, check out the episode that I did with him. He has some really, they're simple when you read the suggestions that they make about how to connect more with people. And Ryan is a great speaker about this because it's not his natural bent to spend a lot of time connecting with people. And he talks about that. It's not his natural way. And he's realized how much value it adds to life and to, you know, how he shows up in the world for himself and his work and his family and his clients. And so anyway, that's a really good episode. He's a great representative of that. And you might want to check out the book because there's uh, simple things that you can do. But that is the basis of why we're talking about what we're talking about today. And so, you know, when, when we have turnover, it is very expensive The cost of turnover is one and a half to eight times the base salary. If you have one team that loses two people and the base salary is 50000 if we just use the lowest calculation of one and a half, you've got $150,000 cost of turnover. It is super expensive. And that is about not only the hiring cost, but that is the productivity cost. Everybody's productivity gets hit. From the leader to the teammates to the, the new person coming in. I mean, you lose productivity that way. And then the loss of maybe customer depending on, you know, with their impact in the organization. That's why it's a one and a half to eight times average salary. And that's from that data is from the top grading, the book, top grading, third edition with Bradford Smart. So it's expensive when people turn over. That's another practical reason to, to think about connecting. And now I've got a picture, if you're, if you're not watching the video, I've got a picture of a champion standing on the race car. He's in his race suit and he's standing on the race car with his arms up like I'm a champion. So, you know, when you hire, you hired a champion. No hiring manager ever hired someone and said, oh, I think I, didn't, I hired somebody that's not going to work out. We always hire somebody that we're excited about. We think, oh my goodness, I think this person's a champion. Maybe we don't use those words, but we think they're going to be a fit and they're going to work out and it's going to be a great thing. And you're so happy to fill the position and they're so happy to have the job. And it's this wonderful honeymoon time of I've got a new job. I'm so excited. Nobody says I'm going to go in and fail, that I'm going to go in and be the actively disengaged or the loud quitting person. And so what are the reasons we hired a champion? What are the reasons um, that they didn't work out? Um you know and sometimes when people show up they they show up and stay a champion I get it done no matter what and sometimes they other ways that people can devolve devolve into the personality profile that they could take on instead of the champion profile is I look good but I don't work or it might be I mean to do good but I'm unreliable and inconsistent and if you watch the video we've got some really cute pictures that display that Uh, All good people, but who who remains involved and enthusiastic around the work? And so how do we make sure we we keep people a champion? What happens? What uh, determines long term work ethic and job ethic? One is fit for the job. You can have a great person that feels like a champion and somehow they end up in a culture that isn't a fit you know, it's totally different from where they are, or the job requires different expertise than what they have, or they're not motivated, which is what we're talking about today. You know, the job uh, requires them to do, to handle rules and processes all day, every day. And they, they're not motivated by that. They're more of, you know, let me create new things and new processes. I don't want to do all the traditional stuff. And so those are the types of things that if they're not a fit for the job, then it could be, a challenge to have them stay a champion. So that five areas of fit we cover in numerous episodes. If you look at the hiring episodes within our directory at wakeupegaworkforce.com, you can learn more about that. But something within your control is to really hire for fit. And there's five areas that we talk about. The other thing that we're talking about, and I just showed you with the Gallup information and the connectable is People stay because of, and stay engaged because of their relationships and their connection with the leader and with the company. And so Gallup has been pointing this out for ages, which is, do they feel like the company cares about them and do they care about the company? And so that's why we want to have those regular meetings. We want to make sure that people know that we care, that they're using their strengths on the job every day. That's something that Gallup talks about. That's kind of ties with the fit. So when they're, when they come onto the job, do you see them? Do you know them? And, and then you're talking about using their strengths and then opportunities about for development um, interesting study. And this is uh, from the Harvard organization. It, they did an 80 year study of 2000 people. And they determined that the most significant need, they're trying to figure out health and longevity and what is the most significant need. And they determined that it was quality, connection, and sense of belonging. So the people that live the longest in this long-term hard endpoint study, which is we followed until they passed away, and it's a large group of people. Those are the studies that have the most credence. And they said the most significant need is quality of connection and a sense of belonging. So no wonder gallup has been talking about this for so long. People need to feel like they belong. And these two things, the job fit for the job and feeling like they have a, a relationship with you and with the company are the things that you can control in this crazy big World of engagement and involvement, and you know, people were so complex. Those are things you, as a leader, can do with your team and with your employees. The thing that's not in your control. I said there were three things. We got one is fit, and the this two is the relationship and connection with the leader in the company. The third thing is just habits that they formed over the years. So they might have a habit. Maybe they have the capability. Maybe they're uh, a great fit and maybe you have done everything you can to to create that relationship. And sometimes they're, they're just not going to work out. Um, They're going to bring a low job ethic and it's because of old habits they have a habit of being distracted they have a habit of maybe a low sense of self so they're not very resilient and so they don't recover very well and maybe it's a high stress job or maybe they have a low discipline you know we can measure some of that in the five areas of fit and also we can measure if they're open to grow- growth and learning or not in the trimetrics assessment um but at the end of the day you know the, there's always a risk and the assessment is only less than 30% of the whole equation because we have complex situation when we're hiring. But you do have two things that are in your control, which is the relationship building and the job fit. So those are the reasons what we're doing here is we want to reduce the risk of turnover and low engagement because there is always a risk. We want to show, uh, create connection, create a sense of belonging, show that we care And I'll 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 use these terms quite a lot. (laughs) You've already heard them a couple of times. Show that you care. Show that the company cares. Use strengths. Use their strengths on the job every day and encourage their development. Those are some of the key engagement principles. So what we want to do is we want to give them the keys to the Ferrari with a full tank of gas. And so we're going to now go into the six motivation dimensions. And so I want you, what I'm going to do is I'm going to share a scenario with you and I'm going to have you react to the scenario. What I want you to do is pay attention to what you think your first actions would be. Don't judge it. Don't say, oh, I probably shouldn't have said that. And if we were together, I would have you share your answer with someone. But if you're driving or you're watching this in your office, just make a note, right? Write real fast what the first thing you think, okay? So don't judge your first uh, reaction or action, okay? So here is the situation. I regret to inform you that your 107-year-old cousin, who is a distant cousin and you met them when you were when you were 5 years old, uh, has passed away. And so it, you are his only living relative and um, we're very sad to bring this to you, but you just inherited a 5 million dollar car collection. So very, very exciting in that way. Sad. And, and, you know, I know that you're going to grieve the loss of your cousin. And now you're thinking, OK, what am I going to do after you've grieved and kind of acknowledge that a family member is no longer with us? What are your first thoughts about this car collection? What are you going to do with it? Okay, so what I want you to do now is capture what you're going to do with this beautiful car collection What's your first reaction and share it with somebody if you, if you're listening to this with anybody else. And now let's go through the six motivation dimensions. And what are motivation dimensions? They reveal what we're most interested in. It's how we want to spend our time. It's, how, it's the filter through which we see the world. This is what we think is most important. All right. So if you said, the, the first one, there's six listed on the page here, and I'll read them out. The theoretical is a the drive for knowledge, learning, and understanding. And if you have high theoretical as one of your top motivators, then you might have said, oh my gosh, I need to go research what it's like to own a car collection, and then I'm going to need to learn about all these cars, and I'm going to need to talk to other car experts. So your first thought is research and understanding, you know, what, what to do with the collection. Utilitarian is an, is the second motivator we're talking about. And that's a drive for return on investment. If that's your top motivator, you, your first action might be, okay, so I'm going to, I'm going to tally up the value of all of these. I'm going to do some research on which ones are most valuable and are going to gain in value. And then which ones aren't, I'll sell the ones that aren't going to gain in value. And I'll just make sure I get a good return on those. And then I'll hang on to the high-end ones that are going to grow. So that's how I'll get the best return on investment. A third motivator is aesthetic. This is a drive for balance, harmony, and form. And so this is the first instinct is, oh, wow, I can't wait to see them. I bet they're beautiful. I'm going to get them photographed and I'll probably hop in one with the top down and go down the coast and and just enjoy the beautiful scenery and just smell the breeze and just enjoy the experience of driving a fast car, beautiful car. The social altruistic is the fourth driver that we're talking about. This is a drive to help others to remove pain and suffering. A social altruistic's first thought is, oh, Okay, I'm going to sell the collection and I will figure out how I'm going to donate it to, but I'll probably, I'll give it to my, my nonprofit that I work with on the weekends. And then I, my family, a couple of family members are struggling. So I'll, I'll give them some funds and then my neighbor is really having a hard time. So I'll probably do that. I might even set up a nonprofit with some of the funds. So we'll see, but all about service. The fifth motivator, I told you there are six, they're hidden. They're not immediately visible to us. They are uh, gender and culture neutral. This, the fifth one is individualistic political, and that's a drive to stand out as independent and unique. So this person might have thought, oh, I'm going to get uh, photographed in some of those high-end car magazines with the with the famous cars that are in that collection. And then I might join a car like that. I've heard that there's race car clubs, you know, like they have these country clubs for race car drivers. I would love that. Um, And maybe I'll become a hobby race car driver. We'll see. We'll see what's in the collection, but that's what I would do. And then the sixth one, the traditional regulatory, is a drive to establish order, routine, and structure. And so um, what this person's going to say is, Oh, I need to figure out what the standard operating procedures are for owning a car collection. I'm going to call my insurance agent. I'm going to call my tax person. I need to know the implications of all of this. I just need to know you know, what is the process and what are the procedures um, and get all of that in order. Okay, so you can see, I just acted out, slightly acted out the six motivators so you can get an idea. Which out of those were you drawn to, which you said, oh, yeah, that feels like me or nope, that doesn't feel like me. We're going to go into a little bit more of the motivators, but let me tell you a little bit about what they are, that the why we do what we do, I've kind of mentioned all of this. They drive our choices If we can use our motivator, so if you're high utilitarian and you get to use it six days a week on the job, five days a week, it creates natural engagement. What's engagement? Involvement and enthusiasm in the work, right? So if I get to do that, I feel more fulfilled because it's my natural strength It's what I'm interested in. It's automatically important to us. That's why I can ask you the car collection, uh, inheritance question, and there's a possibility that what you thought might be a match because it's how we naturally think it's our filter. It also can be how we judge people. So we think this is so important. If other people don't think it is as important and they, they are doing their top driver or motivator, we can feel a little judgment around it. And it, it really helps teams to understand the six. And understand their teammates because it reduces judgment. It can move to some understanding and some appreciation and value for the different priorities, Uh, but it gives you a common language to do that. So, but it, it can help us understand why we get aggravated with people. And then it can help you. It becomes like your arena of people that you enjoy the most. And when I say it's your peeps, And so, one example for me is early 2000, I went to an Association of Talent Development meeting here in Atlanta and i came home and i can remember i used those exact words i found my peeps i told my husband i found my peeps i met all these people that were very different but they they were all interested in training and development and they had high theoretical now that i know this language they had high theoretical in their in their makeup because we were all we were all living life differently but we were on the same page and i'll i'll give you another example is uh, my husband is a car guy he's a hobby enthusiast and uh we're we've joined we are part of a country club here in Atlanta called the Atlanta Motorsports Park. It's up in north Georgia as amp it, for short and I was at an event recently it's called Drive Passions, and everybody brings their cars and you drive and then they they have races and anyway, it's a whole thing and everybody there I was laughing to myself, everybody there is high individualistic I mean and you can see it they're all kind of you know together they're all independent and unique, and they're you know pretty much most of the racers have that. So that's that's your peeps. And, and sometimes when you're in an environment with really nice people and they all are say they are all utilitarian and you're social altruistic, you can feel like, OK, I'm not really into the return on investment. I'm not wanting to have those kind of conversations. I want to have altruistic kind of conversations. So there you can see where the rub is. And when you have this language, you can begin to understand you know where the differences are and not that they're wrong and you're right. Because in the world of workplace motivators, all six have value. A little bit about the history. Okay, where did this come from? Edward Spranger in 1928 wrote a book about, uh, he called it Types of Men, and it's about attitudes. And he has these attitudes that he talks about, these six uh, motivators. We call them motivators. Now, he was a German psychologist. And the biggest thing that he was about was he wanted to find a better way to to account for the complex expression of the human soul. So he knew that there was more to us. He was a psychologist and he's working with people. He knew there was more to us than these four dimensions. And at the time, that was what they used. It was something that was similar to DISC where they ex- describe people in four different ways and said, that's who you are. He said, no, 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 we're more complex than that. There's more, that's why I love the how he said it, complex expression of the human soul. This is what motivators are. They express what we care about, which comes from within us. And when you talk to people, based upon their motivators and what they're most interested in, you notice a difference. So anyway, back to the history. Edward Springer started this, came up with these uh, dimensions. A psychologist, uh, Gordon Alport, created a survey or an assessment, which is the precursor to our Workplace Motivators Assessment. And then the company that I'm partnered with, TTI Success Insights, created the Workplace Motivators Assessment and they validated it. And they did that in 1998, And it's EEOC and OFCCP compliant. And then I have been working with these tools since 2006. And I'm one of the top partners there in that organization. So that's a little bit about the history and what you do. I'm going to go back through the six motivators now and and give you more detail. And this is where you're going to want to go to motivatorsppd.com to see these slides. If you want to see, if you go to your motivator, I'll have all the detail that I'm going to share on each of the motivators or come watch the, um, the video at uh, pricelessprofessional.com forward slash Ferrari. I'm going to go through each of the motivators. And what I want you to do when you're listening to it, if you've taken your assessment, go get it, go get your motivators and look for your one and two. Those are what you're most interested in. And your number six is what you're least interested in. And so those three, one and two, and your six, and and the intensity with which you scored, and there's another graph in there that shows you that, and you'll see that in the debrief video. How strong did you score it? it is was it stronger than the rest of the population, or was it within the in the population scores? But basically, you're going to look for your one, two, and six. And there's no good or bad, as I already said. There's no right or wrong in this world. There's not one better than the other. It's a matter of how you use it. How do you use your strengths, and then you know how do you cover any potential overdues. It's not about ability. This is about interest. We're not measuring whether you have the skills. To be a salesperson yet, but you do. If you're utilitarian, 82% of all top utilitarian want to be salespeople are, are good at being a salesperson because it's a return on investment. And so not everybody is a salesperson. They might be an executive or anything that uh, requires return on investment, but there's nothing that doesn't mean that they have the experience to do that. It just means that I'm interested in that. I lean into these kinds of things. And when they, my job matches it and I get the experience around it, then, you know, we have the motivation. Our motivators will reorder. Usually it's nature, nurture. We came in with these interests. We came in as naturally focused on being helpful or naturally focused on being practical or naturally focused on the traditions and the rules. And our nurture and nature, life will teach us that as well. The people around us will either uh, mimic our environment, we'll learn from the people that are with us, or we'll say, okay, I'm going to do the opposite of that. It can tell us what we're what stresses us out and what we may overdo, which are gonna, you're going to see in the slides here. And you can manage now; you can better manage your stress, and you can better understand. Oops, I know now why I've lost people because I've overdone this thing. So that's what we're going to go through right now. And what I want you to do is listen to each. I mean, we talked a little bit about each motivator now in a little bit more detail, and I want you to think about what are you drawn to and which repel you. And then whatever you're most drawn to when you hear the famous people and and, um, just think about it, you're like, okay, yeah, I think that's me. So you you might not even need to take an assessment. So let's just look at the different ones. We've got theoretical. Remember, that's the I love knowledge. What they most want is to understand why and how uh, things work. They want to apply it. They want opportunities to learn. They want to be an expert. And so what is the stressor? What's the dissatisfier? Well, if I can't do any of that, I'm going to be dissatisfied. I need to know about something. Don't just throw me in there without giving me time to research. So if you're managing someone with high theoretical, they're going to want to become an expert. They're going to want to be certified. They're going to want to know what to do. And in the inheritance, it was, you know, I'm going to learn more about cars if I got that inheritance. What we could overdo is we get so into... Learning and knowledge. It could be like the absent minded professor and practical matters can be, uh, ignored. And sometimes they're ma- ignored on purpose and sometimes they're ignored because we're not aware. And the on purpose might be, I'm just having fun with research. I'll deal with that later. And other people might not understand that. Just like with all the overdues, uh, it depends on the intensity of how you scored it, but you can actually uh, you know, miss practical matters because you get so caught up in. So you can kind of put fail sales in place so that doesn't happen. So what's a paid and volunteer work? I have that category on every slide. This is sometimes we're in work that doesn't match our top motivators. And so that's okay because we maybe we've done this a long time and we're really expert and we get a lot of other things out of that work that matter. So we talk about paid and volunteer work. So if your motivator does not line up with the work that you're currently doing, what's required on the job every day, then then your job is to find time on the weekends and in the evenings to find ways to fill your tank and and to do things related to what you're most interested in so that you find that balance, okay? If there's a way to line up your work with your motivation, you should do that. But we have, you know, complex world and um, a lot of us don't learn about these things and what we're most interested in until we're already... You know, committed into a role, so paid in work, volunteer work for the high theoretical science research and development, astronomy, engineering, mathematics, philosophy, journalism, aerospace, think tanks, psychology, anthropology, professor, consultant, famous people: Al- Albert Einstein, Marie Curie, George Washington Carver, Maya Bealek. That's the uh, Big Bang Theory. She she was uh, Sheldon's girlfriend and wife. And then, you know, of course, she's a scientist in real life too. Uh, so if you didn't know who that is. And then Nancy Drew. So you think about mysteries, you know, very curious. They're trying to figure things out. They're always researching and learning. So you see that in as the theoretical. If you were building a race team, since we have this car theme here, if you were building a race team, this job, the jobs that would really match would be the person who needs to know everything about speed, you know, be a speed expert, a race car expert, an engine expert, technology expert. That would be a match. So that is high theoretical. Does that make sense to you? Does that excite you or does it repel you? And you've been listening to part one of this episode, which is a takeoff from my signature keynote talk, motivating yourself, motivating your workforce, what you wish you knew. And you want to be sure to tune into part two to learn more about how workplace motivators is like having a key to the Ferrari with a full tank of gas. So you can tune into that episode or part two by looking for Wake Up Your Workforce wherever you listen to your podcasts, or you can go to our show notes at pricelessprofessional.com forward slash Ferrari, and you can see part one and part two of this episode and we also have a master directory that you can go and see the most recent episodes and all the episodes that we've we've recorded at wakeupeagerworkforce.com. And one last reminder, leave us a review. Let us know that you've written the review for us, and we'll send you a complimentary assessment. And we'll also give you access to over 100 development resources. It's a value of $350. You can have a a Workplace Motivators Assessment 25, four-page report specifically to you, customized uh, about you, and or you could give it to a friend or a family member. So if you have any questions, you want to reach out to me, go to pricelessprofessional.com forward slash Susie S-U-Z-I-E. Thank you for listening. We look forward to connecting with you soon. Take care.